Welcome to the Calvary St. George's Sermon Podcast, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ and Him crucified. These podcasts are recorded and produced by the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. For more information, head to calvarystgeorges.org. A very warm welcome to Calvary Church, part of the Parish of Calvary St. George's on this first Sunday of Lent. Uh, Lent is my favorite liturgical season. I love it. However, in the wrong hands, let me just tell you that this season uh, is spiritually toxic. And it's spiritually toxic in the sense that it fools us and it lulls us into a subtle form of self-righteousness. That somehow through my fasting and my penance, I will draw myself close to God. I will make myself acceptable to him. As if God would be in heaven and say, wow. You really gave up chocolate and beer for 40 days? Like, that's impressive. (laughs) Here's a gold star. No, like this is, but this is how people think. This is how people think. Lent becomes kind of like Christian rehab. And we're going to like fix it all and I'm going to pick up all my New Year's resolutions that I dropped. But Lent actually should be a wonderful season because it reminds us that our fasting and penance is the fruit of God drawing close to us. Our penance and fasting is a response to God's perfect work making us acceptable to him. Pleasing in his sight. Him already doing it for us. But this becomes the important question then. If it's not by giving up chocolate or beer or shaving or whatever it is, how are we made pleasing in God's sight? This is what St. Paul is powerfully addressing in our epistle reading uh, to the Romans. And uh, this reading connects to both our Old Testament lesson and our gospel. See, in order to understand what Paul is talking about here in the terms of one man uh, comes sin and death and through another man comes righteousness for all, you've got to go all the way back to the beginning. When Adam and Eve succumbed to the temptation of the serpent, disobeyed God, and ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. This just wasn't a bad day. This had massive, massive implications, not only for all of creation, but the entire human race, you and I as well. This isn't scriptural, but nobody does a better job than John Milton in Paradise Lost in giving us a description an unfolding of these tragic events. In book nine of his epic work, he describes when Eve and Adam bit into the fruit. Describes that moment that they actually heard the cosmos groan as it fell. (sighs) And at first, they feel invigorated. And they run off, Milton writes, to really enjoy the garden and really enjoy it they did finally falling into a sleep, only to discover upon awaking that the knowledge of good and evil was actually paradise lost. Their relationship with God ended. Milton explains, he writes, that that, uh, their appetite for knowledge had been fulfilled. However, their hunger for the presence of God had been quenched. And because of this separation from God, they began to separate from each other. Angry and confused, they continued to blame each other for committing this sin. Whose fault was it? It was your fault. It was my fault. If only you'd done this. If only you'd done that. Neither admitting any fault. 
And finally, in their shame from the accusations, they cover themselves in fig leaves. Doesn't that remind us of our own relationships on some level? Whether it be a marital relationship, maybe a friendship that's gone sour, maybe that person at work, or you're the one at work, covering ourselves with fig leaves and our own need to be right, our self-justification projects. This is the definition of sin, and it separates us from God, and then it separates us from each other because of our own need to always be right, so right that we'll actually kill to get it. Maybe not physically, but you remember what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, if you thought about it, you've done it. And, and we want to be right, and we are right so bad because we definitely know the difference between good and evil. We are the ones who know better. Just read your Facebook feeds. Paradise lost. And this is my first point. Milton, but more importantly, Moses in the book of Genesis and St. Paul in Romans articulate that the events in the garden had awful, awful repercussions. This event affected the entire human race. It infected you and me, and as a result, no one is born righteous. No one is born basically good. No one is innocent. All of us, from the firstborn, newborn who takes a breath, born in sin, everyone is born sinful. The theological term for this is called original sin, which means that our instinct is always to serve ourselves first. Every aspect of our lives, we come first. In thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and what we've left undone, those things known and those things unknown, they may not be as bad as they can be. However, it's not holy, and it will not stand before God. And this goes with our good deeds as well. This goes with our good deeds as well. St. Paul articulates this when he writes to the church in Rome. If you will follow along, as sin came into the world through one man, that man being Adam, and death came through sin, so death spread to all, because all have sinned. St. Paul says here it doesn't matter that you didn't eat the fruit. Death now exercises dominion over those who sin, even those whose sins were not like the transgressions of Adam. Now, Jake, you didn't eat the fruit. However, as a human, you're connected to Adam. You sin. And because of sin, you and Adam, death reigns. It reigns even over your good deeds. Our best deeds lead to death, is the point that uh, St. Paul is writing here, inevitably. It's heavy, heavy duty. I remember when I was um, in Uganda, and they were talking about an event a few uh, years earlier along uh, Lake Victoria, and there was a huge malaria outbreak because of mosquitoes. And someone was like, here's what we got to do. we got to get rid of the mosquitoes. And so an NGO came and sprayed the whole place, and they got rid of all of the mosquitoes, and nobody got malaria. Nobody got malaria. Things were great for a year. But all of a sudden, what happened was... And and no malaria is a good thing. It's a good deed. But the frogs that eat those mosquitoes began to die. And the fish, which everybody in that area that ate those frogs, began to die. 
and a famine swept across this part of Uganda as a result. Even our good deeds, in our good deeds, death reigns. However, here's the good news of the gospel. St. Paul goes on to write, he writes this in that same thing, Adam, who is a type of the one who is to come. This is key. A type is a foreshadowing of something that will later reflect the type, the real one, only greater. St. Augustine, the great church father, he articulated this really well when he said that the New Testament is concealed in the Old and the Old Testament is revealed in the New. This is one of the key ideas in Matthew's Gospel. Jesus says, do not think that the Son of Man has come to be served, but to serve and offer himself as a ransom for the many. To offer himself as a substitute for the many. The point of Jesus going out into the wilderness for 40 days to be tempted by Satan is not to give you three life tips on how you can take on Satan yourself. Part of the curse was to Adam and Eve, from dust you came and dust you shall return. And the serpent, on your belly you shall crawl and dust you shall eat. The idea being there that before the devil, you are lunch. And what this scene is supposed to be it's not for you to jot down and like, okay, the next time I'm going to memorize this scripture and this scripture. No, it's for you to say, here is the one. The second Adam. The new Israel. The one for me. The new Adam, not in the garden with everything to eat but one tree. The new Adam goes into the wilderness, the barren place to be tempted by the devil. The new Israel, out of his baptism, goes into the wilderness and he is faithful for 40 days. This, he's being led by the Spirit out there, you see. Not by chance. God is sending him out there to resist and ultimately defeat the devil for you and for me. Here he is, and I put my faith and my trust in him alone. And this is my second point. Jesus was never plan B or an amazing afterthought. He is the meta-narrative which binds the entire Bible together from Genesis to Revelation. The Bible is not the basic instructions before leaving earth. The Bible is the book and the manger wherein your Savior is found. This is what it means by Scripture alone. Not that it's got all the life questions answered, but here is where you will find the one who in ultimately all those questions are fulfilled and met. Jesus was the coming one. So when St. Paul writes in Romans here, God dealt with Adam in a way that would make him a type. Makes him a type of Christ. You see here, Adam's fall in disobedience becomes by nature our fall in disobedience. And in Adam, your pers- everybody's got a personal relationship with God. Everybody does. And in Adam, your personal relationship with God, Adam alone is one of death. Adam's sin is imparted to you. 
And like chips off the old block, we follow. However, here's where St. Paul begins to unpack how God has made us pleasing in his sight. St. Paul unpacks how much greater Christ and his saving works are than Adam and his destructive work. St. Paul writes the free gift, and we talk about this all the time because we forget it. We think that there's something up to us. But the free gift, we talk about it here Sunday after Sunday, it is God's grace, Christ's perfect righteousness given to you. St. Paul says that this free gift is not like the trespass. And it's not like the trespass because it is greater. When your sin, rest assured, meets God's grace, you need not be ashamed. Because God's grace is always greater. Remember, Adam is not the final word. Moses and Israel are not the final words. They are only a type of the one who is greater to come. And it is greater. It is greater because Jesus' obedience was perfect. It's not only Jesus' death that matters for you. His life also matters for you. This is why we prayed by his bloody sweat, agony, his baptism. We've included his circumcision. When I first read that, I was like, man, they didn't miss a day. And, uh, <laughs> and this is because, it all sounds, it sounds a little much, but it's because his entire life is important. If Jesus had only died for you, it definitely would take away your sin. But it would not make you righteous because you'd done nothing. However, because Jesus has also lived for you, or as St. Paul writes, his perfect obedience for you. God can not only declare you sinless, but because of Jesus, God declares you righteous. Where Adam failed in his obedience miserably, which brought about sin and death, and where you and I fail in obedience miserably, which earns sin and death, Christ succeeded perfectly giving us, imputing to us, righteousness and everlasting life. And this is my third point. This is the great and the good news of God in Christ. He vastly outshines Adam. He vastly outshines Israel. He vastly outshines Moses. Christ fulfills and vastly outshines everything in the Old Testament. The spectacular sin of Adam is not as great as God's grace and obedience of Christ and that gift of eternal life given to you. And it's not even greater than any... You can't do anything greater to lose it or set it aside. But the grace is totally free. The gift is totally free. God's righteousness given to you is totally free and you have received it. And you received it when you were baptized. You sitting in this church is a sign that you have received this grace. And you will receive this grace momentarily as we gather around this altar and receive the bread which is his body and the wine which is his blood. 
and are reminded of that grace that is continually poured out upon you. And just remember, this righteousness, this righteousness, Christ's righteousness alone, not your Lenten disciplines, those are fine, but this righteousness is your justification and ultimately life and how one is made pleasing before God, our Heavenly Father. Amen. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast, produced and recorded at the parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. If you feel led to support the continuing ministry of the parish, you can make an online donation at calvarystgeorges.org slash giving. Thank you.